At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. We've been in Romans chapters 5 through 8 since the beginning of September, and we have four more sermons in Romans 8 leading up until Christmas, and um, Paul by this point is just going on and on about the riches and the glories of our salvation in Jesus, and we are in chapter 8 verses 9 through 17 this morning. If you're following along in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, And then the book of Romans, the first of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, There's 13 letters from Paul, and and this is the first one listed in the New Testament. Romans 8, verses 9 through 17. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of the most compelling narratives include stories of great reversal. Stories wherein a person or a group of people begin the story in a state of disarray and chaos and incompetency. And the question then driving the narrative is, how is anyone going to get this group sorted out? So, for example, how is Coach Morris Buttermaker going to take the ragtag, untalented, undisciplined, bad news bears 
and make a contender out of them, as in the film Bad News Bears. How is Coach Herman Boone going to take the T.C. Williams high school football team from being a racially divided, relationally contentious team and make them champions? As in the film, Remember the Titans. And how is Coach Gordon Bombay, one of my favorites, how is Coach Gordon Bombay going to take this strange, diverse, poorly resourced District 5 peewee hockey team and make them the Mighty Ducks? As in the film, The Mighty Ducks. In each one of these stories, there's this great reversal and we're drawn in by the question, how is this team going to get things sorted out? What can this leader, this coach do for this broken group of people to help reverse their fortunes? Well, part of the reason these stories resonate with us is because we ourselves are in need of just such a reversal. And the truest story of all, the story of all stories, the gospel of Jesus, it is also a story of great reversal. And the Apostle Paul's explanation of the gospel in the book of Romans bears this out. In so many ways, the Apostle relates the disarray and the chaos and the brokenness that we have all experienced in life because of our sin. He explains that we are destined for death because of our sin. We are sold as slaves under our sin, and we are separated from God relationally because of our sin. So Romans chapter 6, verse 23, just to review some of these things. The apostle writes, the wages of sin is death. In other words, our sin has earned us death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man, and death came into the world through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death has spread all over the globe as far as people have spread all over the globe because all people have sinned. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And this carries the idea of being sold into bondage under sin, being enslaved to sin, which is how the New American Standard Bible translates that verse. And just last week, we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, where Paul said that the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. The mind that is set on the sinful passions of the flesh is hostile to God. So because of our sin, there's a relational hostility between us and God. And so as I said, we are destined for death because of our sin. We are sold as slaves under our sin. And we are separated from God relationally because of our sin. And so the question is... How is God going to make death-bound, enslaved, alienated sinners and reverse this situation for us? What can God do for dead, enslaved, alienated sinners? And what we're going to find out is that there is a mighty ducks, remember the Titans, bad news bears kind of transformation that takes place for us who are in Christ. 
First, in these verses, Paul is going to say, in Christ and through the Spirit, you possess spiritual resurrection life. You possess spiritual resurrection life. So you remember from verses 7 through 8, last week, Paul wrote, to set the mind on the flesh is death, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Then in verse 8, he concludes, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and then starting in verse 19, he contrasts life in the flesh with what God has done for us, giving us life in the spirit. Verse 9, you, however, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So similar to, as we said last week, we are in Christ. So also Paul says here, we are in the spirit and the spirit is in us. The Spirit dwells in us, he says. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. So this is hard to wrap our minds around, to conceptualize this, but we can say that the Christian life is a supremely spiritual life. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. And he goes on in verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Now, this is an important nuance in our understanding of the Spirit. Anyone, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Because I've heard several people share their testimonies with me, and they'll say, yeah, I became a Christian at this point in my life, but I received the Holy Spirit at this later point in my life. And I think folks think like this because they've been taught a theology of the Spirit that is not totally biblical. They've been taught that you can trust in Christ, you can be saved by Christ, and yet not have received the Spirit of Christ. And yet the apostle says here, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. So Christian, let me affirm for you, if you are trusting in Jesus, if you identify with Jesus as one of his followers, you possess spiritual life. You are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you, enlivening you, empowering you. Here's how Paul continues to put it in verse 10. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So Paul says the body is dead. In other words, our bodies are mortal. Our bodies are failing. Our bodies are in a constant state of decay, basically from the time we're born, or at least after we hit adulthood. It is all downhill from there. Stuff starts falling out and sagging all over the place. The body is dead because of sin, amen? But the spirit is life 
Even though physically we're wasting away, spiritually we are renewed, we are alive because of the righteousness of Christ that marks us and because of the spirit of Christ who dwells in us. Verse 11, Paul completes his thought. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul has said, our bodies are dead because of sin, but eventually him who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise your mortal bodies. And he does this by the spirit who dwells in us. So we have spiritual life now because of the spirit in us and we will have renewed physical life later because of the spirit in us. Christian, this is what God has done for you. Your spirit was dead because of sin. Your body was dead because of sin. But what a reversal. From God, you have experienced spiritual resurrection life. What can God do for sinners like us? He has made it so that we have spiritual resurrection life. And secondly, he has made it so that we owe nothing to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. Look again at verse 12 and the first half of verse 13. He writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. So because we are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, we have no obligation to the flesh. When you're in debt to someone, you owe them something. You are obligated to them in some way, usually to pay them money. Paul says we don't owe anything to the flesh because Jesus came in the flesh and lived the life we should have lived on our behalf. He lived a life of perfect love and righteousness in the flesh. So we aren't obligated to the flesh. And Paul warns that if we even try to live according to the flesh, if we even try to live according to our own moral efforts, we will die. Because we always blow it when we lit, try to live apart from God under our own power. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, middle of verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are obligated to live by the, we are not obligated to live by the flesh, but we are obligated to live by the Spirit. And what this looks like, what living by the Spirit looks like, is putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Paul says the Spirit empowers us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. So is the Christian life lived out of our own power and strength? No, we live by the power of the Spirit, and yet that doesn't mean we don't play a part. And what that part looks like, Paul says here, is by the Spirit in us putting to death the misdeeds of the body. But what does this look like? How do we kill the misdeeds of the body? Well, obviously, Paul is speaking metaphorically here. 
In other words, we don't literally kill our sin. Rather, I think what he means is that by faith and the Spirit, we continually take our sin to the cross. The cross is where sin goes to die, and so that is where we continually take our sin. Our addict, that part of us that tries to fill ourselves through all sorts of addiction, we take him to the cross. Our rager, that part of us that tries to take control through intense anger, we take him to the cross. Our perfectionist, that part of us that finds significance through getting everything just right, we take him to the cross. Our performer, that part of us that finds acceptance through performing at work, performing at school, performing at sports, we take him to the cross. Our bitter one, that part of us that finds a sense of safety through hanging on to bitterness and keeping other people at a distance, we take him to the cross. Our people pleaser, that part of us that finds love through keeping everybody happy, even though we're not honest about conflict, we take our people pleaser to the cross. Our pleasure seeker, That part of us that finds an escape, finds fulfillment through all sorts of unrestrained sensual pleasure and physical appetites, we take him to the cross. And we could go on and on like this, couldn't we? We have all sorts of sinful strategies to satisfy our souls apart from God. We have all sorts of sinful selves, the old self who keeps trying to creep back into our lives keeping us from being who we are in Christ. And so by the Spirit, we keep coming back to the cross. And we keep saying, God, here is this part of me, the rager, the addict, the pleasure seeker, I surrender him here to you. And by the Spirit in me, I leave him here at the cross, the place where sin goes to die so that I can live out of who I truly am in Jesus. That is the work of sanctification by the Spirit. It's not just trying harder, doing better, doing more. No, it is by the Spirit bringing our sin to the cross, bringing our sinful selves to the cross and leaving them there to die which is a process that goes on day after day after day. It is not completed in this life. Christian, this is what God has done for you. You are not obligated to live by the flesh. Do more, do better, try harder. Instead, we are now in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us, and we are obligated to live by the Spirit, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. You possess spiritual resurrection life. You owe nothing to the flesh. And finally, you received adoption into God's family. You received adoption into God's family. Look once more at verse 14. He says, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So Paul says, when we put to death those false ways of living, the 
people pleaser, the addict, the bitter one. When we put those false ways of living to death, then we can live out who we really are, sons of God, children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And it is by the spirit of adoption within us that we cry, Abba, Father. So through faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the apostle here calls the spirit whom we have received the spirit of adoption. We are children of God having received the spirit of adoption and by the spirit in us we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, around our house, we will laugh when one of our kids, one of our children will refer to me or my wife by our first name. So earlier this week, actually, Rumay, our six-year-old daughter, was walking around the house going, Meg, Meg. And I think she was actually mocking me because apparently I'm always shouting my wife's name across the house. Meg, where are you? Meg, come here. But it was funny to hear her call Meg by her first name because she never does that. And it just doesn't feel right when she does. And Rumay does the same thing to me sometimes. She'll say, CT, no. CT, no. And the boys too, just messing around with me, will sometimes call me CT because they know it's humorous. They know it's funny. It's out of the ordinary for them to call me by my formal first name. On the contrary, it is so sweet. It is so tender. It is so intimate when they call my name, Papa, Daddy. Even more than when they say Dad, for them to say Daddy, there's an intimacy, there's a connection that's so beautiful. And similarly, most of the time when I address my mom, I call her mom. Like, that's probably the most common way now I refer to her. But I'm from the southern U.S., I'm from Alabama, and the more intimate, the more endearing word we use to call our moms is mama. You guys remember Forrest Gump? He's from Alabama. And one of his most famous lines was, mama always said, stupid is as stupid does. Mama said, because that's the more intimate, endearing way that we address our moms. And can you believe it? Can you believe it? That we, broken as we are because of our sin, the apostle says now, by the spirit of adoption we have received, we cry out, Abba, Father. Christians have the most intimate, unbreakable relationship with God possible. By the spirit of adoption, we are children of God. No other religion even to this. They don't even claim to come close to this. 
By the spirit of adoption, we are the children of God. And you see what this means here. Because we are children of God, we are no longer slaves to fear. We no longer fear God's condemnation. We no longer fear God's justice against our sin. We no longer fear being alienated from God. We no longer fear facing death alone. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and we bear the family name, Christian. Verse 16, Paul goes on. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if the children of God then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So as the children of God, we are also the heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, meaning that everything Christ has, we have. As God's one and only son, Jesus received eternal life from the dead, and so shall we. As God's one and only son, Jesus will inherit the new heavens and new earth, and so shall we. As God's one and only son, Jesus inherited the kingdom of heaven, a throne that knows no end, and so shall we rule with him. We are the heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Probably the most well-known name in our region is the Ford family. If you just say the Ford family, pretty much everyone knows who you're talking about. The Ford family are the children of Henry Ford. And as his children, they are also his heirs, meaning everything that he had, they have. And so it is for us. We are the children of God, co-heirs with Christ. So go back to our original question. What can God do for sinners like us? How can God make it so that broken, dead, enslaved sinners become something amazing? How can God make it so that we go from being bad news bears to champions? This is what God can do. This is what he has done. He has placed his spirit within us, giving us new life both now and forever. He has made it so that we owe nothing to the flesh, but we walk by the spirit and he has adopted us, making us his children, his heirs. And we relate to him in the most intimate way possible. This is a reversal like none other. This is a transformation like none other. From death to life, from bondage to freedom, from alienation to adoption. This is a transformation like none other. The question is, have you experienced it? And if not, I want to encourage you. Trust in Jesus. Receive his spirit. And live, live, be free, and join the family. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
our Father in heaven. We are gathered here, your children. Those within whom the spirit of adoption dwells. And it is by your Holy Spirit we cry out now, Abba, Father. And we receive from you afresh the blessing of who we are in Jesus. Beloved children, forgiven sinners, renewed saints. Father, I pray for any here, and ultimately it's all of us, pray for any here who don't feel that, feel alienated, feel distant, feel trapped. I pray, Father, that you would come alive, that we would experience the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So God, have mercy, have mercy. Father, I pray for each one of us here and the work we need to do, putting to death the misdeeds of our bodies. May it be done by the power of the Spirit in us, not just trying harder, not just more accountability, not just more shame, but God, may it be by the Spirit we bring our sin, we bring our false ways of living to the cross and surrender them. God, help us do this so that more and more we can walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Help us, we pray. We ask it all in the name of our elder brother, the one with whom we are co-heirs. We ask in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.